to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 basketball podcast brought to you by Home Field Apparel. I am Carlos at Equity Bruin. Joining me live is Avery at Brave Grapes. Good morning. Greg at Bananamorphs. Hello. Uh, for the last time ever, Reed at Pac-10 Reed. Good morning. Angry boy and a man who thinks he can land a plane in an emergency... Matthew Bertson at no pit stops. Not thanks. Absolutely knows. 100% of the time, I'm landing that plane. Are you fucking kidding me? This is, okay, so there's context. Read and Greg, you have not not thought, you have not made a statement on this. The Hill reports, nearly half of men think they can safely land a plane in an emergency, a survey finds. That number's low, right? It's definitely more than 50%. More think they can, yes. (laughs) Listen, Uh, listen. If they're talking me down, yes! I believe in them to do their jobs so I could do it. There's literally a procedure for this. It's called a talk down <laughs> landing. If they're doing the talking down, I could land the plane. I feel this confident. Is, this is fucking insane. <laughs> There's something that people aren't considering here, and it's that most men would not be capable of doing this unless a woman asked them to first. <laughs> 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 she got you there. She got you there. And then you'd have to ask six times. And then uh, when they finally did it, they'd be like, oh, you're, you're nagging. And then you all you're fucking so die. Naggy. Yeah. Why make it yeah, about that? Exactly. <laughs> Because this is, just, this is toxic masculinity. This is toxic masculinity. Not toxic masculinity. masculinity to say that the people whose job it is to talk you down when the pilot is incapacitated could do their jobs. I just think women are better at listening. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, if we're in this situation, I much rather have a woman take control of the plane. hundred percent. Because guess what? I asked my wife. She also said a hundred percent. And guess who I'm letting fly the plane? A hundred percent. Her because she is better at listening. <laughs> so this isn't toxic masculinity shit. This I is just called a little bit of self confidence. Thinking about this stresses me out. Like, I don't want to live in a world where I'm thinking about this hypothetical. No, this is okay. Here's why it's toxic masculinity. You have men who constantly think about, like, oh, yeah, if I was in an emergency, I bet I could fucking do whatever. Like, if, I, I am so certain if you polled men asking if they think in an emergency, if they were out in the wilderness, could they? like kill a bear if they needed to with their bare hands like 50 percent of them would say yes they would be like man it'd be hard i'd give up a foot but i i probably could do it yeah but that's how different. fucking delusional these people are yeah, but this is including different. myself i've said these things before i'm a fucking moron it's ridiculous i can't believe again as the homie gary it. said this is what it takes for you to be self-aware <laughs> i feel like this is the same energy as like the reason men want to become cops yeah yeah like, kind of they want to feel special and in control <laughs> when in reality they're not really capable of accomplishing anything if, on their own it feels like if i was in an emergency here's my process my process <laughs> is yelling to everyone who has experienced flying a plane and then no one will because that's a crazy of experience course, to have. of course you're taking over and delegating of course and that's right the, n- <laughs> the number two thing i'm like okay who here has experienced playing microsoft flight simulator okay maybe you got it you got a you got a nerd in there you got a nerd you got a geek maybe you don't if you don't though the next one is who here has explained uh, uh experience playing grand theft auto starting with san andreas and whoever that person is I'm going there. That's my process. Okay. Well, guess who's spent years on Microsoft Flight Simulator? All right. I don't want to hear this (laughs) shit. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, my God. What a crazy ass uh, start to this episode. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard. It's literally a car. It's just a car. 
<laughs> I don't even know how to respond to this. I don't even know. This is insane. It's just a really anyway, wide car. This is insane. Reed, could this you land nonsense. a plane? You haven't said anything. Could you land a plane? Dude, I do not even I don't even know how to begin to approach that. Like I know I know <laughs> nothing about planes. How am I so it's just I, I think Carlos is right. It's like there's Are you a good listener, 50% Reed? Reed, who, are you a good who listener? Would just say any task they could oh accomplish. And <laughs> more... Washington did that shit drunk a hundred percent of the time. Slowly landed an airplane on water. You think I'm not landing a plane on fucking gravel? I, Come I on. have no idea. It's not know... it's not about just listening though, because they're speaking a completely different language. Like there's so many things things that have to do with planes that you probably don't even know so when they give you instructions on how to land it they're gonna have to give you like how do i explain this to a five-year-old instructions because you don't know what's going on in yeah, the cockpit that's their you job. don't know what all those buttons do <laughs> no it's not their job to explain it because the pilot fucking knows yeah I, okay here's here <laughs> I, I just just for context our homie and reed's co-host of the quacked out podcast uh james is a helicopter pilot, and even he is like, I have no fucking clue how to fly a plane. <laughs> James has no fucking yeah. clue how to knows. fly in the helicopter. Stop it. <laughs> that is not uh, a good so data I, point in your side. It is, it is, because even he knows about planes, and he's like, no, I couldn't fly that shit. Anyway, he just uh, said that he is, doesn't know about planes. Oh. I, I, most men cannot follow a recipe. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about this one, guys. Like maybe Matt and Greg, because I think of you more All highly than fifty percent of All men. I, <laughs> I do as well. But Jesus Christ! The bar is very low. I would you it's say that? Low. Why would you say that? Anyway. <laughs> Good God! This is a Pac-12 episode. Uh, this is a Pac-12 football and basketball the episode. Plane. The Pac-12 would still be here if I got to fly the plane. I do think about that. I'm like, what if I were in charge? <laughs> See, this is a dumb fucking man race. Anyway, uh, this is a this is a Pac-12 podcast. We will talk about Pac-12 football. We'll also talk about some Pac-12 basketball because a bunch of stuff happened last night. So we will get to all of that stuff. But first, quick programming note. Now that the uh, Pac-12 football season's over, we're combining our football and basketball episodes on Sundays for the rest of the season. We'll still be going live at 9 a.m. Pacific on Sundays or thereabouts, but we will not be talking hoops on Wednesdays anymore. Uh, don't you worry, though. We've got football content coming up for you in the middle of the week throughout the offseason. We'll also go live at the conclusion of the Washington-Texas game on New Year's Day. That's a Monday. Didn't ask anyone's permission of that. I should have asked that before I put that in the show notes. Sure. I will be there uh, to react to that uh, right after the game. So tune in on New Year's Day for that. We also have a special announcement about the future of No Truck Stops coming very soon to you. Uh, now that the Pac-12 football is finally over, we're splintering off. Stay tuned to our YouTube channel for that announcement. And as always, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I see I see several of y'all are out there watching this. Like the video, comment away with your thoughts in the YouTube chat. Follow us and tweet us at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. Send us in your questions and rants. And of course, podcast listeners, follow the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. And again, as always, we'll have content for you on Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. The gang will do more Pac-12 football chatter, including a discussion of a review from our takes from the season. I've got some written stuff up uh, about Pac-12 stuff. We'll have more very soon. Uh, but we'll go check that out for five bucks a month. Uh, okay, we'll talk some Pac-12 basketball. We will including Washington's massive upset win over Gonzaga in Seattle. We'll talk about Arizona's beatdown of Wisconsin in Tucson. We'll talk about UCLA shitting themselves on the road against Villanova. We'll get to Utah-BYU, all of that. But let's start with some football talk here. 
Jaden Daniels, uh, former ASU quarterback, current LSU quarterback, forever Pac-12 quarterback, wins the Heisman Trophy over Michael Penix, over Bo Nix, over another player I have never heard of. This is the second straight Heisman Trophy for a Pac-12 player, I guess. So congratulations to our homie Jaden Daniels. Reed, I know you have strong feelings about this one, so you'll start it off here. Any reactions to Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman over Bo Nix and Michael Penix? You can talk about this reward, this award from like who should have won. I think you can make different cases, but you have to understand what the Heisman is. It's always been a narrative-driven award about moments. And the reality of why Daniels won this award over Penix or Nix is just the media machine going on with ESPN and the SEC. It didn't matter what the two resumes were. It just mattered the conference affiliation given this. Because I think we all know if Jane Daniels was still at Arizona State on a 9-3 and team that didn't have a shot at the playoffs, no one would give a shit about his stats. They would be empty. They were that way for decades on end in the Pac-12 when the Pac-12 was putting up gaunt was putting up impressive offensive numbers and no one cared because it wasn't SEC football. Now the inverse is happening where a 13 and 0 conference champ who has had moment after moment after moment in Penix doesn't get the award because they view our conference as lesser than the SEC. That's what it comes down to for me. I think that the award should be about moments. I think that Penix or even a Dunze probably would be my pick is who should have won it. I get that there are times that Penix looked shaky when we were all watching this year, but frankly, that stuff would just get glazed over if it was in another conference. Um, and that's what frustrates me most. Grapes, do you agree? Do you feel like this should be a, a narrative driven award uh, more than anything and B that Michael Penix should have won it? I, I think it's pretty clear that I do not respect the media at all. Um, I think that any like awards, especially when we talk about the Pac-12 and like the postseason awards for the Pac-12, it's really easy for these people to look at stats and like look about at what everyone else is talking about and just go with that and not actually like apply any real critical thinking to the thing like they're not watching Michael Penix they're probably not even watching Jaden Daniels that much I feel like it's very easy for them to look at the box score and see that oh Michael Penix didn't perform well against Arizona State in Seattle so he was clearly a bad quarterback and not worthy of this but I think bringing up like the marketing thing is really important because even our friend Emily who is an LSU student and fan admitted that this was a win for the marketing team like the way the LSU marketed Jaden Daniels made it so he won the Heisman in a lot of ways and at the end of the day this is about marketing these people are going to listen to the marketing and what it's telling them they're not gonna think outside the box so yeah Michael Penix probably deserved it but that's just become the nature of the award where like what is everyone talking about that's who we're gonna vote for yeah I mean I I I understand the whole, like, it's a narrative-driven award. I just don't know that there's been another, like, what other Pac-12 quarterbacks have had outside of, like, any, literally any Washington State Mike Leach quarterback have had, like, 50 touchdowns in a season and sort of did that. Now, I will say that I 
I think Michael Penix absolutely should have won it because he was okay. Actually, that's not that's not. Let me back up. Roma Dunze should have won this award. Uh, I see our homie T Dog four two five in the chat here saying Roma Dunze is not even being a top ten in Heisman mention. He he's the best player in the Pac twelve probably. Maybe 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 it's Caleb Williams. I think it's a best player on the best team sort of situation. Like if we're talking about like most valuable awards, the Heisman is not a most valuable award all the time. There's inconsistent rules. I think that I think if there were an Oregon quarterback who generated a ton of production and uh, wasn't on like a, an elite team, Reed would be here saying, how can you leave him off? He, you were literally in the chat telling us how Vernon Adams deserved to be that, a Heisman As, as a comparison for how much they would disregard putting up good stats in a bad Pac-12. So then that's, you, but that's you the just point. said... I don't think Vernon Adams should have won the award, but I'm saying okay. we don't even mention good quarterbacks for, a, for decades... The Pac-12 has been a better offensive conference. They've had great stats for quarterbacks, and we don't mention them in the Heisman conversation seriously because they're in the Pac-12. Yeah. Matthew Hubertson, what do you think about this? Um, I think it's wild to possibly care enough about this award to have an opinion. Um, the The voting numbers for this thing are insane. Have you? I'm pretty sure one of us has a vote based on how many people <laughs> vote in this thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fairly certain one of us has a vote. I no idea who it is, but That's like Greg, he's the only credential journalist. Five right. percent. That's right. That's right. They gave it. They gave me the Heisman vote. vote with the water like, bottle. Actually, <laughs> like I and like you look at the regionality stuff. Like it's all just there's so many people that are just like I just vote West Coast. Like it's just what I do. I vote number one. I vote West Coast for the number one, no matter what, because like I know how much the SEC journalists just vote for SEC guys. Like. It, it it's it's a popularity contest like it does not matter it does not matter at all like i will say the one thing that like reed you talk about heisman moments like what what heisman moments did Penix or nicks have like uh, like i can't question that nicks nicks i don't know Penix though i feel like i feel like has had several like the I end could, of the Oregon know, game any- the end of the oregon state game like we're I mean, total Heisman moments for Penix. You mean Roma Dunze's Heisman moments? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's that the hard part. Is that- he can't throw the ball to himself. Like you, you can't evaluate him without acknowledging his wide receivers. But like, you can't, you can't let his wide receivers take away from him either. I mean, that's but ridiculous. I want to. So I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Like I, I just mean, I, that, that, I, yeah. And, and, Go ahead. And you're not awarding. You're, you're, this isn't a two play a season award. Like. Jaden Daniels had some fucking insane games. Like, I don't care who it's against. He had nine games with over a 200 passer rating. Penix had three, and they were all in non-con. Like, I get that, like, this isn't against, like, this this great schedule. But, like, neither was Lamar Jackson's. Neither was RG3's. Like, this has never been a best team, best player award. This has Mm. never been a, like, oh, it has to be the best player in the best conference or, like, what did you do against the best defenses and everything like that? Like fucking Alex Smith was a finalist for this award. You think he was on the best team or he was playing against the best competition? Like that's not how this award works. It's absolutely a stat padding like award. And that's great. Like, you know how many defensive players should have gotten this award if it was about being the best player on the best team? Yeah, true. Or an offensive lineman. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts about the Heisman trophy stuff? 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Matt. I'm much less convinced that Michael Penix totally deserved the award. I think either him or Daniels could have gotten it, and I wouldn't have been upset. Uh, neither of them were like, I don't know. I don't think this is a particularly special year in terms of Heisman candidates. Uh, if Penix was healthy the whole year, I think he probably wins it, but he wasn't. That's That happens every year. There's always players who are like, man, if he was healthy, he might have had a shot at the award. I just don't care that much. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not that big a deal considering, like y'all mentioned, the amount of voters that it has, the type of people who get votes. Uh, meh, I don't I don't care that much about the award because of that. Uh, I understand why the Utah fans don't care about this award very much. <laughs> I mean, here the the I just feel like I. I <laughs> I thought Michael Penix probably deserved it over Jaden Daniels. It's really hard to talk about Michael Penix without talking about Roma Dunze. It really is because Roma Dunze is by, I I would say, just by looking analytically, the best wide receiver in the country. He's he's certainly better in terms of metrics and stats than Marvin Harrison. That's why I think Roma Dunze is probably going to win the wide receiver awards. He did Um, not. He didn't. He did up third place. Behind an LSU wide receiver. And an Ohio State wide receiver. Oh, that so, sucks. Like, it's not like Jaden Daniels didn't have a Blitnikoff finalist to throw to either. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. So, I, but you wouldn't know that because you don't engage with college football. Neither do you. What are you talking about? <laughs> I still pay attention. <laughs> um, but I mean, I just I don't know. I didn't uh, I didn't watch Jaden Daniels. But as someone who doesn't watch the college football but just looks at stuff outside of the Pac-12, Jane Daniels' numbers are pretty ridiculous. Like that's this is really hard to deny. We have several other examples of this and. I don't know. I think when you have someone who is just like so clearly metrically, statistically better than everyone else, it's like really hard to deny because that. It's hard to defend Michael Penix when he has like, you know, these games and I've seen him watch him for six weeks and he has Roma Dunze uh, going along with him. Like it is kind of hard to defend that. I will say I still I still believe that Bo Nix did not deserve to be a Heisman finalist. I yeah, will say true. that he probably took some votes away from Michael Penix. Um but I'm not sure it would have been enough to overcome Jane Daniels. This is Go so, ahead, you're, this you're is so fucking stupid. Like, you just <laughs> bow down to the SEC propaganda machine for no reason. <laughs> he, he stayed into the fourth quarter in week 12 to throw eight touchdowns against fucking Georgia State because his team sucks. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, it, exactly. <laughs> why, why are you running against Georgia State in the fourth fucking quarter? You know why? Because you're not competing for anything. Because it doesn't matter if you get injured because your team isn't good because you can't win a big game. He didn't throw a <laughs> touchdown. He was down 45-17 in week one to Florida State, threw an 80-yard bomb with two minutes left. Like He, did, he didn't do anything against good teams. It's so different. Robert Griffin III, Lamar Jackson had huge top five wins, big moments that define the season. We will not remember a single fucking thing that Jane Daniels did in a game of importance this entire year. It is a uniquely bad Heisman, and I get it's a bad field, but like the fact that we're just okay with, okay, it's a bad field by default, let's just give it to the SEC quarterback is fucking insane. Of all people... 
we should care and give it to a Pac-12 player. Of all, if if we he can't is a Pac-12 support, player. <laughs> he is not, a Pac-12 player. You're forgetting not, this. <laughs> he's not a Pac-12 player. We know Jaden Daniels. Here's the thing: is that I feel so much more affinity for Jaden Daniels because he did play those two years or three years or whatever it was at Arizona State. Like that's the weird thing where I'm like, damn, good for Jaden Daniels. Like that's cool. Like I watched Herm Edwards fucking wreck his career, you know, and like throw him down the drain, like. That's all, you know, that's the hard part. It's like, I don't give a shit who Marvin Harrison is. I'm not really sure. I've seen maybe like one highlight. Um, if you watch the Rose Bowl where Utah played Ohio State, you saw a lot more than one highlight. Yeah, maybe. I don't remember <laughs> that, who that was. But like, the thing is that like, you know, Jaden Daniels does have some re- name recognition on the West Coast. People do know him. It is part of his story. I don't know. He's got more time in the Pac-12 than Penix and Knicks. Like, he's more of a Pac-12 player than both of those guys. And, like, this isn't just giving it to the SEC guy. It's giving it to the guy that threw for almost 4,000 yards and Against rushed who? for over 1,000. Against I don't who? Care. The, As someone if, who openly campaigned for Jake Hayner to win the Heisman, I do not care what he was competing for. He's <laughs> the most outstanding player that I love the most. And Jake Hayner should have one. And so should Jaden Daniels. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is revisionist history because you did not like Jaden Daniels when he was in the not Pac-12. At all. Me and Carlos did. Me and Carlos defended this man that's a good yes. point you I bet, forgot how much I disliked guy. him uh, Reed is <laughs> right is actually uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was media bias I, I just don't I just don't get how it's like oh Jaden Daniels didn't do anything against anyone of note and played his worst games against the best teams etc 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 I don't really understand that argument and then also campaigning for 12 weeks for Bo Nix before the last Washington game because that's just because because hold on a second different. you are a, a fucking analytically moron. you are a analytically you are a the only two <laughs> the, the only two only two only two games where Oregon had a chance to bolster its resume both against Washington guess what those are Bo Nix's worst games if you look at them like statistically yes which, which is Daniels why I, and Bo Nix had which is why I have never said similar. today that Bo Nix should win the Heisman I never said today that. <laughs> like 10 days ago you did Yes, my my point Before was if they had the beaten Washington, then Bo Nix would have had the best case. If Washington won, then the Washington players would have had the best case. Nothing about that is inconsistent at all. Also, Bo Nix played on game day in Utah and absolutely killed Utah. Uh, you can say Utah's bad, but guess what? If that happened in a similar situation, if 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 Jane Daniels had went to the swamp or whatever and killed them, and they were a top 15 team, and it was on game day, they would not give a shit about what Florida did the rest of the year. They would have been like, that's the hardest place to play in the world. That's a Heisman moment. No one else can do that. We just, we're weak. We are weak, and that's why our conference is being taken from us. And I am ashamed of all of you, frankly, for it. This is ridiculous. I'll be honest. The defense... Of Zach, the defense of Jaden Daniels is giving the same vibes as people that were putting Zach Wilson up for the Heisman. No, it's like oh, that's no. what you fucking oh, sound wow. like right now. Is not. No, Let her go. Hold on, hold on like. a second. Give her a second. Explain with the st- with the stats. With the team playing nobody, this is the same thing. That's. I just want to let you guys know that's what you sound like right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm no, gonna Zach work. Wilson that's, is a is is, is wow. a privileged white no. man. Uh, I'm not gonna no, compare it's them. It's not the same. <laughs> Jaden Daniels is so much cooler than Zach Wilson. He's so much better. Although I will say the reaction 
that ASU players had to him hitting the portal is very similar very. to what I imagine Jets players feel about Zach Wilson. So fuck, maybe they are the same. <laughs> no, I'm not saying the players no, you are the said, same. You I'm said they're the same already. You did it. It's over now. <laughs> no, I did it. I'm just saying you guys sound like um, half-brained media people right now. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, anyway, so the Heisman situation has been a whole discourse and should Jane and Daniels have won it? I don't really know. I'm like... I think if this was like, I don't know, what's the Alabama, Jalen Milrow, is that his name? The Alabama quarterback? Yeah. If he had won it, I'd be like, the fuck, who the fuck is this? Why does he deserve it? <laughs> it's just that Jaden Daniels played at Arizona State. It's cool Maybe to see Jayden him, Jaden Daniels was playing the long game by going to Arizona State, getting West Coast recognition, transferring to the SEC. Like, this was his plan all along. And you know what? I'll respect him for but that. But you know who, who this- doesn't give a fuck about past conference alignment? The Big Ten and the SEC, who had Bo Nix and Michael Vick, they don't give a shit. There's no loyalty there because they're serious people who do propaganda oh. for their conference. Hold on. Time out. Time out. Guess uh, Michael Penix won two regions. He won the far west region. He also Bare- won the Midwest barely. region. Midwest region. Barely. Barely. Yeah, by one vote. But that's because the Midwest put in a wide receiver. So, like, no shit. Well, and also because Michael Penix played in Indiana. This is kind well, of yeah. interesting. Um, Bo Nix didn't get very many Southern votes, though. You'd think, you'd think maybe you, some of the SEC fans are out there being like, oh, but Bo Nix, it's such a great story. I remember him at Auburn, and he was poopy and all this other stuff. Maybe no, Nobody talks about that like former conference's yeah, alignment, yeah. like Reed was saying, except for Pac-12 fans. It's true. It's this true. is like uh, 3% of the level that Florida State got fucked. Like, we've spent so much time on this, and it's like... <laughs> Because we it's don't give a level. shit about Florida State. These are the these are the things we're <laughs> supposed to be fighting on the front lines, Matt. And you're you're letting this conference down. <laughs> Oregon fans are diseased. Oregon and USC fans <laughs> Matt, being like Matt so just, on par with like the Heisman is more important than any other award in this sport is fucking insane. Go ahead, fucking Graves. unbelievable. Matt is just projecting his like complete hatred of UW and getting UW wrong all season onto this Heisman <laughs> Award right now. Like it's not Michael Penix's fault that you were wrong about everything you said about his team. Uh, That's your fault. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's move off this Heisman stuff. We've spent enough time talking about that. Lots of discourse. I'm sure this will continue and spill off into the timeline. But let's move on to some other notes, some other news, some light news. Finally, some good news for Reed. Recruiting. This is your Super Bowl read. This is your time. Time to get our guys in. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback for Oklahoma, entered the transfer portal and promptly has chosen to go to Oregon to replace Bo Nix. Reed, quick thoughts on this pickup for the Ducks. I think it's a really good pickup. I think it gives Oregon a chance to compete in the Big Ten almost immediately uh, if they get a good roster around him. I think Dylan Gabriel, I mean, he's probably going to pass Bo Nix if he's healthy for the whole season in total games started as the record holder in the NCAA. Um, Oh, wow. And so it's just, it's a very similar move. Like, I think that given how much Dylan Gabriel's produced elsewhere, it's hard to see him not eclipsing like 3,500 yards passing, 35 TDs, less than 10 interceptions, pretty efficient. doing some more stuff with his legs probably than Bonix was like, I, I think he's going to be 80 to 90% of what Bonix was this year at worst, because I think that this offense works pretty well. If a quarterback knows what it's doing, has played a lot of football um, and is disciplined enough to make, you know, the simple pass sometimes um, take the easy yard. So 
yeah, I'm I'm high on it. I like it. I think he's probably not going to be Caleb Williams or anything, but he's a good college quarterback. Matthew Richardson, what do you think about uh, Dylan Gabriel? Do you agree? Just letting him wear eight is fucking insane. That that's that's <laughs> really my biggest takeaway. Like, how far yeah. have they? Yeah. Won? How do you feel about that read? That like Marcus Mariota was number eight, and obviously maybe the most recognizable, best, you know, the face of Oregon football, pretty much historically. And Dylan Gabriel kind of takes number eight. How do you feel about it? Uh, I I'm good with it. I think it's 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 cool. Honestly, I mean he's. He grew up idolizing Mariota. He's from Hawaii. Uh, I think Mariota signed off on it. And there's kind of Isn't a cool he- lineage there. Masoli wore eight. Then Mariota wore eight. Now Dylan Gabriel's wearing eight. So I'm cool with it. I don't really... Are we sure I, that Gabriel's not like two years younger than Mariota? How did he grow up idolizing Mariota? <laughs> well, yeah, this happens. This happens all the time. like a with middle like school recruiting. or early high school. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I uh, I know some stuff about – more stuff about Dylan Gabriel than you would think because he was slated <laughs> to go to UCLA, I think, in 2022 uh, after DTR's fourth year. And people thought, okay, DTR is going to leave for the league. Uh, he ended up coming back for another year. But after he ended up coming back for another year, Dylan Gabriel had committed to UCLA. Then there was this whole suspense about whether he was going to show up to class and like because he had enrolled for classes. And on the first day, it was like, all right, if Dylan Gabriel doesn't show up for class, that means he's like going somewhere else. And he didn't show up for class. And I guess he went to Oklahoma. So I was excited about Dylan Gabriel at the time. I think this would be a this is a great pickup for based on what I know about Dylan Gabriel. Um, and he seems to have only gotten better. Great pickup for Oregon. I'm more curious to see if Will Stein sticks around and what that means for Dylan Gabriel. Uh, I, I we're I don't know. We I don't know if we've fully gotten off the train of like head coaching carousel. It feels like it's died down. We may have a few stray openings here or there. Maybe if UCLA gets his ass beat by Boise State, uh, that would be cool. Um, no way. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think so either. Will Stein, you know. Another offensive coordinator who people will probably want to poach. Does that change Dylan Gabriel's mind? Does it? Do they find another coordinator if that happens that fits Dylan Gabriel? I don't know. I think those are some question marks, but that seems like a good pickup to me. I am so unbelievably ready for all these old ass quarterbacks to go away. Like, yeah, <laughs> I do think it's been fun, but like the conversation of I think there was like eighteen college football seasons between the three quarterbacks in the Heisman race. <laughs> I. Gabriel's fine. The upside just isn't there. And Mm -hmm. I'm excited to bring back more unknown with quarterbacks. And so like 2025, I am very much looking forward to, to have some like some more like ideas of some more no Fafitas popping up and stuff like that, where we are getting more unknown and more like, let's just try something. Cause yeah, rising coming back to like, this is just, I'm bored. bored. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's fun to see, like, fifth and sixth year. Dylan Gabriel will be a sixth-year quarterback uh, going into his time at Oregon. So we will we will see. The Ty Thompson era at Oregon be short-lived. It's over. Um, Shout-out to our boy, Ty, Ty Thompson. Uh, a couple other recruiting notes here. Commitments this time for Colorado. Deion Sanders did say he was going to get a better offensive lineman in his own cross way, and so far has actually done it. He got a commitment from number two, the number two offensive lineman in the high school class of 2024 in Jordan Seaton out of IMG Academy in Florida. He also picked up a couple of transfer offensive linemen too. Four-star Justin Mayers out of UTEP, three-star Tyler Johnson out of Houston, three-star Khalil Benson out of Indiana. I think he might have picked up another one in the past 24 hours as well. 
well. We talked a lot about Colorado's offensive line this year. It's been clearly a point of emphasis for Dion and his staff. Matt, are you encouraged by these moves? Far more impressed with the uh, Jordan Seaton poll. Um, far, far more impressed with that. That is very much where the actual elite offensive linemen are. And for where Dion wants to go, that that's what he needs. Um, I'm generally just low on offensive lineman transfers that they, they, there's no reason for them to really go anywhere if they are actually super talented. Um, and the idea of pulling somebody off of Indiana, Utah, Houston, like I'm, I, I'm improvement. Sure. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that like all of a sudden this vaults Colorado up to a top half offensive line in the big 12 next year. Reed, you're a big recruiting Nick. What do you think about this? We've talked a lot about, you know, he needs to build an offensive line. It needs to be through the high school. You can't just build one through the portal. He's got a high he's got an elite high school offensive lineman who will probably anchor the line for a little bit. And then he also did pick up some portal players. Are you how do you feel about the way he's going about building this offensive line? The Jordan Seatman com- scene commitment was crazy. Um it was one of those where final 48 hours like no one felt confident no one knew where he was going really and whenever that happens you have to wonder if something weird is going on there and then colorado swoops out of nowhere jordan scene pops up on undisputed of all places yes, <laughs> shades of jordan travis yeah totally. very much shades of jordan travis <laughs> um that one's big i think it's it's been really weird honestly i guess it just is what it is the backlash to that commitment and a lot of people saying oh he's gonna flip in the next two weeks i don't know maybe some of those people have sources but clearly a lot of them are just screaming into the void on twitter because they really don't want dion to succeed um and the reality is dion's a really good recruiter like old-fashioned building relationships selling kids getting their trust dion is good at that stuff regardless of like money or flash all of that like He's just good at it. Um, and having Seaton do his commitment on Undisputed was really smart. It totally raises the awareness for the program. And I think like all the stuff that he's done this year and all the talk he's given, yeah, he wasn't able to cash in on it. But you can't tell me that that didn't help convince some of these transfers on the margin to say, okay, Colorado looks like a more attractive place now. That's actually a brand that I can go to and I'll have some spotlight and attention if I play well, all that said, I still think, I don't know, you know, he's, he has to just rotate new bodies in. They're probably not going to be a top half offensive line, but I think the freshman's going to be really good. I think that, uh, Justin Mayer's out of UTEP is a little better. A few of these guys might stick. A few might not be so good. They'll be better though. Uh, and that's important. Like this is the right thing to do for him to do. 100%. I, I am curious as we talk about recruiting, he is, Absolutely. An amazing recruiter. I I am curious, especially as we've kind of seen some of the transfers out of the program and the coaches leaving. I'm curious what the environment is once they are actually on campus and and whether that relationship is is strong enough to continue when they are getting into their actual like position rooms and dealing with position coaches that maybe weren't as much of the primary reason that they came. And, And I am curious to kind of see how that ends up progressing over the next several years. Yeah. I'm really curious. I have not, uh, I've got to go do a deep dive. I haven't really heard of any major players entering the transfer portal from Colorado, um, which is my primary metric. I think to your point, Matt is like, okay, when they actually get here and you know, the way that Dion talks about sometimes some of these things kind of being crass uh, and, 
just sort of blustering about, oh, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're going to get better players, all this sort of stuff. I, I was really curious to see what the players who were actually played in this uh, program and these systems actually respond to that. And I don't think I've, uh, maybe you all have heard, I haven't really heard of many off Colorado having sort of mass exodus in the transfer uh, portal. So I don't know. I'm curious to see how that yeah. shakes out for sure. No one huge, just a few. I think, um, Harrison, Michael Harrison, their tight end was probably the biggest name. He kind of had a good yeah, season, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. Well, that's a recruiting update. We got a few bowl games. These bowl games were dropped. The selections were dropped after we recorded last week. So let's talk through these really, really quickly. Get your thoughts on maybe one that you're most excited about. Uh, in the LA bowl, First up, seven and five UCLA takes on eight and five Mountain West champs Boise State on December sixteenth. Also on December sixteenth, uh, on a Saturday, that's this Saturday, six and six Cal takes on six and six Texas Tech. That's in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, Utah. <laughs> Gets its third postseason trip in a row to Las Vegas <laughs> uh, when the 8-4 and four Moose take on Northwestern in the Vegas Bowl. That game is on December 23rd. Matt Hubertson, you were actually correct. They were going to Vegas a third straight year after going 8-4. Never wrong. Uh, in, the, <laughs> in the Holiday Bowl, 10-3 Louisville takes on 7-5 USC. That game is on December 27th. Your boy will be at Petco Park for that one. On December 28th, this is basically a New Year's Six Bowl. It really should be. 9-3 Arizona takes on 10-2 Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl. On December 29th, another really fun game. Oregon State takes on 9-3 Notre Dame in the Sun Bowl. On ben Branson. What about that game? Be- it's fun. Is Bengal? Uh, oh yeah, Bengal ben Branson starting quarterback that's right, for Oregon. That's State. right. DJU has uh, has left. Has he said where he's going yet? Does anyone know? No. 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 Okay. Yes. Um, on December 29th in El Paso, Oregon State. Oh, I already said that one. On New Year's Day at 10 a.m. <laughs> as part of the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon takes on the homophobes at Liberty. And also on New Year's Day, the big one for the Pac-12, Texas takes on Michael Penix and Washington in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Okay, obviously. Washington is the biggest game of the slate, and we will break down that game in detail for you in the coming weeks. But aside from the playoff game, Grapes, let's start with you. What bowl game are you most looking forward to? Which one are you most excited about? I have a lot on the line here um, in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. (laughs) I, as you may know, went 0-12 on my Cal picks this year, and that's the reason I am leading the picks. But if I get this pick wrong... I lose everything. <laughs> so I am most looking forward to this game. Yeah. It's also just kind of a weird, juicy narrative game because Reed and yeah. I have been fighting about Texas Tech for weeks for whatever fucking reason. And um, yeah. yeah, they're going to play Texas Tech. We're going to find out if Cal's better than Texas Tech. What that I means, mean, I don't it's know. hard because Tyler Shuck isn't Yes. isn't he in the transfer yeah. portal <laughs> so i think he was injured it's too. not gonna be it's not gonna be the same yeah anyways but i'll still make fun of oregon fans if cal wins that game <laughs> uh matthew Uberson, one that you're excited for um yeah I, the the moral and ethical implications of of oregon liberty are oh, are, are really the biggest things really this is this is bonex's greatest opportunity to prove avery wrong here and and he needs to frankly um yeah levi with the absolute I mean, yeah, correct take of why just list homophobe when there are also 37 other oppressive um, uh, 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 oppressive actions that Liberty takes on a regular basis. I agree. Um, liberty is far worse than just homophobes, and that is not to minimize, yep. <laughs> minimize homophobia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but Bo Nix, time to, time to clear your name here. Um, I'm excited to see 
what Washington fans do during this game. Yeah, I I'm cheering for Liberty is scared. bad. I'm scared out of my mind, and here's why: it's not just the ethical and moral implications; it's the you know the spiritual ones, and by that I mean the Pac-12 title game loser curse. <laughs> uh, that's the one I am most I am most interested to see because I think Oregon seems to me to be a far better, more talented team. Then Liberty, they should blow them out of the water. But the Pac-12 title game loser curse is just so goddamn strong. I am, I'm scared. Uh, just so people know, the Pac-12 title game loser curse. No team since the Pac-12 has had a title game has that ended up losing that title game has went on to win their bowl. They're like Owen thirteen, I think. It's never happened. Even in the COVID year, you'd think maybe okay, the COVID year was weird. Maybe they got it. Maybe they got one there. Nope. Did not get that either. Uh, this is this is this is like I feel like we've eliminated a bunch of like the Pac-12 has died and so now all the curses have just been become cured. Stanford disease is dead. We got a thirteen and zero team. We got a team that went undefeated in conference play for the first time ever. Uh, Tempe was dead. Not, Tempe w- did not take down anyone except really shitty UCLA. But Tempe was a safe place. Everyone was marked safe from Tempe. This is the last one, I think. This is the last curse, the last disease. Um, And if Oregon cures it, everything in the Pac-12 that it has infected will be cured. But if it doesn't, uh, man, I don't even – I don't want to imagine what a world looks like if they don't do it. This has got to be one of the worst opponents for the Pac-12 championship loser, though, right? <sighs> who, are, who else are we looking at? Northwestern in 2018. Yeah, Northwestern 2018 was pretty bad. Okay, listen. Northwestern played in the Big Ten title that year, and it was raining so much. <laughs> yeah, the only reason Utah <laughs> lost that game was because of a curse. That's the only way to explain that one. Jalen so, Dixon's fumbles. God. Um, <laughs> Jaden Dixon. I can never remember. Reed, what about you? Which bowl game are you most excited for? I think... The Arizona-Oklahoma one is obvious. Uh, that's got to be it for me. Like, I think those two teams will actually care and play hard. It'll be the most old-fashioned bowl game there is, kind of, in terms of real effort. I wish Oregon State-Notre Dame was like that. I don't think it will be, but I think Arizona-Oklahoma will. Um, and that's really exciting. The only other one that I care about much is the USC-Louisville game. I'm just yeah, like, that's a fun what one. do they look like without Caleb Williams will be really interesting. Seven and six USC would be awesome. Um, so <laughs> that's where I'm at. Gregory? Yeah, it's definitely Arizona-Oklahoma. Like Reed said, I expect those two teams to care. I hope it's as fun as last year's Alamo Bowl was. Uh yeah, I'm excited, and then of course I want to see Bonick's stat pad against Liberty. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, this is this is absolutely a time where I will b- I will be a Bonick simp if he throws a bunch of checkdowns for ten touchdowns. Would love it, <laughs> absolutely love it. Um, I, okay, I cannot stress enough: do not bet on the Vegas Bowl under no circumstances. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely don't fucking do, do that. Do not place any bet <laughs> on Utah's under? string quarterback going no, up against no, Northwestern. Don't. No, don't touch no. it. Bryson Barnes is playing. Bryson Barnes is playing in that game. Is he for despite what? Despite having already yeah. entered the transfer portal, all right, he is playing in this bowl game. Still technically fifth yeah, string. That's, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do not place uh, any bet on that game. It does not matter. <laughs> anything be weird. could happen. Don't. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> all right. Well, before we shift over to basketball, let's uh, do some football game predictions. 
Uh, Greg, how about a pick'em party update? When's the last time we did a pick'em party? Literally last week. I don't know, week. but... Nothing happened uh, since what's the it? last update. Yeah. Okay, um, never mind. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I don't... Did we do a pick'em yes. party update last week? I did we really? We did. I don't did remember we? doing it. Oh, all right. Okay. Anyway, we had a big tie for first. Like, one, two, three, four, five, six way tie for first, I think. Uh, but what matters is only one person was in last, and that was uh, James... Of the Quacked Out podcast. He went 0 for 7. He's not his, his podcast is Cascadia Corner. <laughs> um, all right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, his not a lot. Not a lot happened. A lot of people okay. got four for seven. I went two for seven, so not great. No Dumbled predictions were correct. The closest one was one that predicted a weird onside kick attempt. Uh, onside kick attempt by Lanning, but the onside kick was not weird, so it doesn't count. All right, good to know. Matthew Berson, was there a, a final standings update? Yeah, Avery is up one because she was also the only one to pick the championship game correct because she was the only one that picked you, Dub. Um, She's up one I on the points. Extra points though. What? Didn't I get three points correct. for that? So oh. she's at so seven, she leading. She the has points? seventy points. Carlos has sixty nine. Reed at sixty. Holy Greg at fifty six, and myself oh, yeah. at fifty one. But Avery is it picking herself for how, taking the double or nothing wrong. because she is already <laughs> yeah. in the lead. Yeah, you didn't she even do that. It. She already took it. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> that's crazy. I can't believe you were bringing up the rear that much and then just suddenly zoom past. That's, that's nuts. You really shot the moon on that one. Uh, it was right, a 24 points Not yet. for her to be up by one. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got two games this week, actually. Uh, on Saturday, 4.30 p.m. at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. We got the aforementioned, aforementioned LA Bowl featuring the 7-5 UCLA Bruins and the 8-5 Mountain West champion Boise State Broncos. UCLA, two and a half point favorites in this one. Grapes who wins and covers. I'm going to pick Boise State. I, From what I heard about Boise State, they were actually bad this year, but they won their conference. Uh, but I know for a fact UCLA is bad. So, Greg, I don't feel great about that. Uh, I would never pick UCLA in a game where Leatu Latu's not playing. Yeah. Uh, so give me Boise. Uh, Matt, I just feel like UCLA's had the chance to uh, to really solidify their coaching rooms and uh, <laughs> and be in a better place. So um, I don't see a reason why Gronk doesn't suit up and play quarterback for UCLA here, and uh, and and got to go for a three touchdown game out of him. So yeah, UCLA. <laughs> Uh, Reed? Is Latu playing in this? He's a first round pick. No way he's playing. Yeah, I don't think he's going to play. God. I think a bunch of dudes won't play for this one. Okay. Do you actually know stuff or are you just being an idiot? I'm just being an idiot. There's no way Latu Latu plays. He's going to be the first edge taken. He'd be insane to play. Okay, I'll go Boise State. No, no, no. Wait, Taylor Green's not playing. I'll go uh, UCLA. Oh, I forgot about Taylor Green. Oh, oh. Who the fuck I, is Taylor Green? Their quarterback. Boise's quarterback. quarterback. Who cares? <laughs> I'm still yeah. taking Boise though. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm picking. I'm picking Boise State. This UCLA team has horrendous vibes. They have big time collapse vibes. I'm picking them to go 0 and 12. The road to 0 and 12 next year starts here. Give me. Give me Boise State. Uh, also, on Saturday, this one's at 6.15 p.m. Pacific. It's in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
Cal takes on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Texas Tech are three-point favorites. Matthew Hubertson, who wins and who covers? I mean, this has to be Cal really, really settling into their new ACC roots. Really, really, really setting up roots back east. That's where Shreveport is, right? Not Louisiana. Yeah, it's Louisiana, but I don't think ACC has any schools in Louisiana, does it? It's a no. little far, a little far west for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's they're playing Texas Tech, which, when you think about it, is kind of the same as SMU, and so really, this is an ACC conference game. <laughs> I see yeah, where you're going. Shreveport from Dallas. That's interesting. <laughs> that pretty close. I'll look it up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think this is a great opportunity for Cal to really establish their their recruiting footprint, get get into some some eastern and southern uh, uh, pipeline setup. So, yeah, bit, <laughs> real real opportunity for Cal to run up the score here. Really need to see it for a program building moment. Only only two and a half hours from Shreveport to Dallas, Texas. Reed. Texas Tech, three-point favorites. Who wins, who covers? Yeah, sorry, Matt. Tulane already has the fence built around Shreveport uh, and the surrounding <laughs> Louisiana <laughs> cities. Building I- a fence around Shreveport. <laughs> Is that so people like can't get in or can't get out? Like, <laughs> fair, fair question. Um, I will go... I guess I have to do Texas Tech propaganda, so I'll go with Texas Tech, but I fully expect Cal to win, but Texas Tech officially. Grapes. Um, I'm picking Texas Tech to win this <laughs> wow. game. So you think Cal will win, but you've got to pick yeah. Texas Tech. Yeah. Got it. I'm stressed. <laughs> Greg? I worry that this is where my Cal curiosity gets the better of me. I feel like I should jump ship, but I'm going to stick with them for one more game. Uh, go Bears. They're going to win. Uh, I've got an interesting comment here from Tai Zhao. Is Justin Wilcox going to start Fernando Mendoza? Uh, wasn't why, why there, was he? there talk of for, like uh, Cal recruiting another quarterback? Yeah, there was some talk of Cal yeah, recruiting. Yeah, Taylor Green. Taylor Green, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I yeah, do remember he, that he Taylor like... Taylor Green is not going to go to Cal. Yeah, he shouldn't. I don't know why Justin Wilcox... If I was Justin Wilcox, I'm not talking to any other quarterbacks. I'm telling Fernando Mendoza, like, you got the job, dude. Don't worry. I'm going to get a bunch of... I'm going to go get some walk-ons to back you up. It's fine. Um. Yeah, I think I, I assume he'll start him. If he doesn't, he's a fucking moron. He should be fired. He should have been fired after this year anyway. But six and six is Cal Super Bowl, so I let them have that. Uh, I've got Cal winning this one. I'll take Cal. Uh, I saw Texas Tech play against Oregon, and they don't have their quarterback anymore. They got their ass kicked by Texas, and Cal, I guess, might be might be fine. Um. All right. That's it. That's all we have football-wise. Matthew Huberson, you're are you going to stick around for hoops or are you just going to bail well, on us I'm seeing that the, the first break? segment is a certain team versus another certain team, and I really <laughs> want to see your meltdown. So I'll stick around for that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we will take a quick ad break. When we come back, we will talk about Pac-12 basketball. It is officially basketball season. Don't you go anywhere. Pack 12 Sickos, I finally got my UCLA bomber jacket from Homefield Apparel, and this shit is so slick. Totally worth the wait. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's hefty. It's perfect, especially for the uh, winter months that are coming up. This jacket is super well-made, super comfy. I will absolutely be wearing this to any and every UCLA basketball game I go to, and maybe some other non-UCLA games too. I think that would be kind of funny. Uh, Homefield has bomber jackets for dozens of other schools if you're not a UCLA fan, including several Pac-12 schools like Arizona State, Colorado, USC, Washington State. 
uh, and several others, but you might want to nab one quick because they do seem to be selling out fairly quickly. Arizona and Washington, for example, have had their bomber jackets sell out already. So go check it out at homefieldapparel.com. My only other note is that you might want to buy these in a size larger than you normally do. They do run pretty small so try getting one in a size size larger than you normally do even if you get one that doesn't quite fit though home field has been super accommodating when it comes to exchanges i got a bomber jacket in my normal size and it was a little too small and the home field team hooked me up with a quick and easy exchange just like that uh it was fantastic experience anyway these jackets own get yourself or someone you love one of these i am certain they won't regret it thank you to home fields for creating these beautiful pack bomber jackets and we're sponsoring this podcast. We are back. Let's talk some hoops. We had a big old slate of fun Pac-12 basketball games on Saturday. So let's dive in. First up here, Washington shocks the world and beats a team uh, that absolutely owns UCLA, uh, Gonzaga, in Heckhead Stadium, Heckhead Arena in uh, Seattle. Duskies had five separate players score in double figures, but the big story here was Frank Kepnong. Uh, he was having his way with Gonzaga's interior. I caught up with this one through highlights, but Grapes, you were locked in. How the fuck did Mike Hopkins pull this off? I don't know. I thought it was going to be really similar to the Colorado State script where like it's a really close game. Washington is staying in it. And then like at the end, they just can't keep up. But they they were right there the entire game. Like it was actually really electric and i feel like i need to apologize to severe wheeler because i was <laughs> shitting on him a little bit last week and he had a good game he was actually like distributing the ball really well obviously like the story of the day was frank kepnong he was fucking electric he was so much fun to watch but i didn't i didn't think washington was gonna win this one because they were gonzaga was kind of keeping them within five like out of arm's reach but they did it at the end it was it was crazy they played great and this is the first time washington has beat gonzaga since 2006 it's the first time a pac-12 team has beaten gonzaga since like 2018 i think they've had like a 16 game win streak against the pac-12 yeah i did not think washington would get it done i thought they would like blow it at the end and like gonzaga take it away because that's kind of what they've been doing against good teams all season but yeah, I was impressed. Extend Mike Hopkins. <laughs> Man, stupid ass game. I feel like I, uh, <laughs> I, I watched the highlights of this one and just saw. First of all, saw Frank Kebnon going absolutely berserk, but I also saw Corin Johnson looked awesome. I said I felt, felt like I saw ten Corin Johnson highlights. I'm like, who the hell yeah. is Corin Johnson? I'm not sure if I've seen him that much. Uh, he hasn't gotten much playing time behind Severe Wheeler. Um, but he absolutely owned. He had that one circus shot where he just kind of spins around and lays it up behind his head. Um, and yeah, they they end up taking down Gonzaga. Reed, did you get to watch any of this one? Yeah, I think as today has taught us, there are really two ways to ethically support the UW athletic program. One, <laughs> you can fight against SEC Heisman propaganda. And two, you can... Uh, do propaganda for Frank Kepning because he fucking owns. <laughs> he, <laughs> he is awesome. He had five yeah, blocks. He, he should have had another one too. That was a, a total bullshit uh, foul on him. He had, uh, what was it, like five offensive rebounds, four offensive rebounds? Um, four, yeah. Yeah, he was just all over the place. And I think this was such a big game for Washington because 
like every time I tuned into Washington this year against a good team, it was like, okay, they're kind of competitive, but they'd never been able to get it done. Um, and they finally got over the hump against the Gonzaga team that we'd seen and play USC just a few days ago. Um, Washington clearly played better. So yeah, I'm kind of changing my tune on what Washington could be. I don't know. What do you guys think they could be? Like, are, are they a conference contender? No, no, okay. no, they're not. We don't have sure to say they they have, Did you even watch this game, um, Greg? Here's why they're not. Here's why they're not. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the Colorado State game? Yes. Yeah, we were there. Yes, exactly. No, we, it's a we good were question there. of whether or not we remember it, though. <laughs> That's yeah, also yeah, a Matt, good point. I don't know if Matt, Matt was back uh, doing conference realignment <laughs> shit with Reed during at this game. <laughs> State, all right? But, like, what I'm trying to say is this is not a team that will have the consistency to win the conference, okay? This is a great win. They have a great roster. But, like, there's a reason that when you go to Ken Palm and you look at where these teams are, Washington is not, like, the top of the Pac-12, right? Yes. Maybe maybe I'm missing them, but I don't see them up there. No. <laughs> uh, it's just Mike Hopkins is a terrible coach. I don't think that's changed for me. He's not going to coach this team to the level that they need to be to win the conference. At this point, I don't think we sh- we have to call them contenders. Despite the fact that they've looked really impressive in a few games, they're still a three-loss team right now, despite like not the I, toughest of schedules. I think they're the third best team in the conference right wow. now. Oh, whoa. <laughs> wow. You, you've been Utah-honking lately. What is going on? <laughs> no, I, I am just kidding. That was a little bit of a push, but I... They looked really good last yeah, night, they did. and they didn't look terrible against Colorado State. They could have easily won that one against Colorado State. Could have gone either way. Yeah, UW. They were a top twenty team. UW's three losses here. Let me let me recap them. They are six and three. They've had three losses. Their three losses are to a Nevada team that is sixty first in Kempom, but only has one loss right now, and that was by seven. Uh, their other loss was to the defending, you know, I don't know, the defending runners-up in San Diego State. They're number 33 in Kempom. That was by three in overtime on a neutral site. Um, their third loss was that Colorado State game, who is number 27 in Kempom, um, and they only lost that game by five. So I, I don't – I mean, I – here's the thing. Each of those games were, like, wildly different than any of the other ones. Defensively, I think I think Washington is just such a horrible team defensively. Except apparently against Gonzaga, they held Gonzaga to seventy three points off seventy four possessions. That's damn good. I don't know how they did that. Maybe Frank Kepnong was just erasing literally everything at the rim. Uh, I don't. I didn't have enough of a set. I didn't watch the full game to get a good feel of were they slowing Gonzaga down. Seventy four possessions is kind of high, but you know if you can you can kind of slow Gonzaga down for some stretches. Maybe um, they don't always hang on to the ball i feel like washington is very turnover prone but they figured it out i mean this washington basketball team is not unlike the washington football team we're like i don't know i don't know how they won that game but they did three losses though <laughs> that, yeah, like, three they, losses. they are unlike that washington yeah, football yeah, team they because the washington they lose football games. team wins yeah <laughs> the good football team bounce <laughs> yeah uh this washington team they are now 53 in kempom they're 55th in the net after their win against gonzaga i'm pretty sure the net was updated after yesterday yes it was um so i don't know i mean here's the thing right now i'd say washington's got the resume of a bubble team that they're they're in the conversation right now obviously it's still win, early yeah 
They've got That's a huge. they've got a big win. Um, the rest of their non-con, if they take care of Seattle, they take care of Eastern Washington, they'll be in good shape in the Pac-12. Then they've got to win a bunch of games in the Pac-12, right? They've probably got to they've got to win a considerable number of games in the Pac-12 in order to have a real shot. But the Pac-12 sucks. I, like oh, I'm just going to say, the Pac-12 might not suck that much though. The Pac-12 has a ton of teams in that maybe they're a bubble team range, and Washington has the worst coach of any of those teams. Like, yeah, true. The, Kempom has that's, yeah, that's true. Washington projected to finish eighth, I believe, in the conference. Now they're a comfortable tier ahead of the bottom four teams, and I would agree with that. Um, but at the same time, like UCLA is going to finish ahead of them. I feel very confident that UCLA will do that, despite the the flaws that team has. Washington State, I'm less confident in. I think Kyle Smith's definitely a better coach but that roster's not as good as U-Dubs. And then Oregon, I think, will finish ahead of them because, like, you know, when they get their guys back, they're just leagues better. And they've still treaded water pretty well, even with the injuries. Utah, I think, is a better team. USC is a better team. Colorado's a better team. And obviously, Arizona's a better team. I mean, the thing is, is I, I'm, I am wildly unconvinced by a lot of those teams. I'm wildly unconvinced by Colorado. As you know, wildly unconvinced by USC. I'm, I really like Utah. I think they're actually a good team. They have a shot at being the number two team in the Pac-12 at this point. We'll get to them a little bit later. Oregon, uh, their injuries are kind of a messy situation right now. Washington, I would say, is – I would pick Washington over Oregon right now. Washington State's another weird one. I'm not sure I trust – like – and UCLA, like, I'm not sure I trust them to figure it out that uh, all the way. Uh, who knows? I think they'll be a better team, but who knows how quickly they'll figure it out. Washington is, I don't know, the Pac-12 just might be down enough to give Washington a shot. We'll see. Right now, we've got eight teams. I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight Pac-12 teams inside the top 60 in Ken Palm. Um, so, I don't know. I think... Who knows? Maybe we'll have eight teams in the yeah. in eight the big, the eight big league or one big league. <laughs> yeah, no in between. No I, in between. What I'm curious to hear, though, is how does this how does this impact your view of UCLA athletics, Carlos? Sure, surely, <laughs> surely, you woke up surprised and dismayed that it is impact in fact possible to beat Gonzaga. That 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 is something that I, can be done. And I would I would love to know how, your thoughts. I don't fucking understand. Uh, I don't understand how fucking Mike Hopkins did this. <laughs> and Mick Cronin is apparently just like, what What happened? What is going on here? I feel like, you know what? I'm going to say something about Mick Cronin that's kind of an insult, but kind of a compliment. He He's, his, in terms of how UCLA basketball plays, I feel like they've got big Oregon energy. I feel like they're like, they will beat the shit out of good, like Oregon football energy. Like, and Dan Lanning, especially. Like, they'll beat the shit out of good teams, but then they just get owned by their rivals, and they get owned in all the big games. And then you're just left wondering, like, damn, that was great, but, like, they they get their asses kicked by Gonzaga, and then, I don't know, some random-ass team's going to be – Arizona State beat Washington last year when Oregon – you know, it's just like – what if I, I don't know. What if we let Chip Kelly coach the game? <laughs> what if we let Chip Kelly coach UCLA versus Gonzaga? Does that improve your odds? And yeah, I, I, literally anything, literally anything. Yeah. UCLA has lost to Gonzaga three times over the past three years or something ridiculous like that. It's been painful every single time. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Washington, Washington. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye, Matt. Uh, Washington figures it out. They get it done on uh, at home against Gonzaga. Big one for them. We'll see how the rest of our season shakes out. Another one. 
Uh, this is for the Arizona sickos out there. Arizona hosted number 23 Wisconsin and absolutely fucked them up. They beat the Badgers 98 to 73. Wisconsin, by the way, a damn good team, came into this game as the number 12 team per Ken Palm. They were just a week removed from themselves beating the shit out of the number five Ken Palm team in Marquette. Uh, Arizona made Wisconsin look like a practice squad, that Wisconsin team. Reed, you watched some of this one. What did you think of the Wildcats? Yeah, I mean, I I continue to be super impressed with Arizona. I don't. It's hard to say because, like, going back to last segment, the gap between when I watch Arizona and when I watch literally any other team in this conference right now feels pretty big. Um, and I yes. I have not watched like any non-con basketball outside of that, so it's easy to say like Arizona's the greatest team ever based on this season. <laughs> I'm at the same time I keep hearing all the Arizona haters on Twitter say that. They're going to choke once it comes to March. Uh, they're going to lose to Princeton again or whatever. I don't know, man. I, I like this Arizona team, though. I'm choosing to they're be good. ignorant of the past. I'm unburdened <laughs> by past seasons of podcasting about Pac-12 basketball. And so I'm diving full into the Arizona hype. This is the year they're winning it all. I don't know. I, 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 in all seriousness, I like Caleb Love a lot. I thought your point was good, Carlos, that like him as a fourth best player who can be a microwave guy in a big game is like way different than having him be your entire source of offense. Um, and they just seem really balanced. They really go like they're the they're by far the team I'm most confident in eight or nine deep. Like they have guys that I think can play. Yeah. Uh, I, they looked, they looked absurd in this one. Grapes, you watched some of this one, I think, right? Up until the Wisconsin started or Arizona started pulling away mm-hmm. against Wisconsin. What did you think of Arizona in that time? Yeah, Arizona looks great. They look unstoppable. Um, Caleb Love is fucking insane. Anyone that was shitting on Caleb Love's earlier probably feels bad about that, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember if I like shat on Caleb Love like from a he sucks perspective. I think I was more like he's going to kick UCLA's ass. I feel even more confident in that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to like, and Greg, you watched him more at North Carolina than I did, but it, I get the sense that relying on him to be your number one option offensively, not a good idea, but if you're a dude, but like Arizona has options offensively in spades. Kylan Boswell is often Arizona's number one option. He is clearly their play, their offensive playmaker. Everything goes through him and everything works through him. And that's fantastic. Pella Larson, though, is the same kind of guy. Like, you can't rely on Pella Larson to get you 20 points a game every single game. But he got you 21 today, and sometimes he'll give you 5 or 10, but someone else is going to step up. Umar Balo, another guy who's like, I'm not sure you can rely on him to get that much. Gave you 15 points today. Um, I think this is, this Arizona team is fucking terrifying. I think they're, they're unbelievable. I feel like Caleb, Kylan Boswell, um, is, he, he, his numbers didn't look great. He had 10 points, uh, four for 10 shooting, but he had nine assists, only two turnovers. He makes Arizona go. Uh, for me, he is the best player on this team. Uh, for me, he is the most important player on this team. For me, he's like the Pac-12 player of the year front runner for me personally, honestly, uh, which is crazy to say. I think he is an unbelievable player. He's their best player. The way he sets stuff up, the way he pushes the pace, the way he can do so in a controlled manner, and the fact that when asked to, he can take three-point shots and doesn't chuck them up and have really bad shot. Uh, what do you call it? What's the what's the what's that better version? Yeah, no, the better better way to say shot IQ, like shot selection. Yeah. Um, like has much better shot selection than his predecessor. 
Um, I, I, I'm deeply impressed by Colin Boswell, but I also am deeply impressed by Keisha Johnson. He is, he, and we have talked about this before, completely changes the dynamic of this Arizona team, completely changes their complexion, lets them do things that they've never been able to do. Ridiculous player. Uh, I think it's an amazing defender, but Greg, what did you think about Arizona in this one? I am struggling to like in my head, I'm trying to compare this to year one, Tommy Lloyd. And I'm thinking, is this team better than that one? And I'm considering it in a way that I didn't think I would before the season because I thought that team was incredible. And I don't think this team has anyone really as good as uh, as Ben Matherin was that year, as Christian Coloco was that year. And I don't think that Pella Larson is as good as Dale and Terry, but it is still like... I think it's just the Keisha Johnson effect. Like he just makes them so good uh, at all the things that they've been bad at in the past. And the other guys on this team, like you've mentioned, are still really good. And so they can do the Tommy Lloyd things basically as well as that team. Like this team might be Tommy Lloyd's best. And I feel like I have more confidence in them going into March than I have in the past. They're about to play Purdue, another notorious choker. Uh, <laughs> should be the interesting. Big Spider-Man between those two. <laughs> <laughs> should be interesting to see how that matchup goes. But like, I'm more and more confident in Arizona in like thinking, okay, maybe we can actually take them making a run in March seriously. Yeah, I do think that it those. Those two pieces are fundamentally different, it feels like, from past Arizona teams. Like Johnson being a real positive, complimentary front court defender, and then Boswell running the show as opposed to Kirk Risa in big moments is like a, a big difference from past teams. And I think uh, is potentially a much more sustainable path in March. Yeah. Keisha Johnson, I think his value is that he's, he's, he's a, He's a high utility player. He can guard pretty much any position, right? He he allows Arizona to play small ball in a way that I don't think Arizona's been able to in the Tommy Lloyd era to this point, right? Like he he's big enough uh to body up with some dudes who are seven foot, but he's also agile and quick enough to guard the perimeter, uh switch on to to guards and do all that sort of stuff. Like he can do that. I think Arizona's strength this year is their defense. Um, their guards are fantastic defenders. We know Pella Larson is a good defender. We know that he has all of the skills to be and tools to be a good defender. Kylan Boswell is another fantastic defender, though. I think he's uh, he really gets in the passing lanes. He's a good on-ball defender. Uh, and and also Caleb Love, when he's locked in, is an, is an awesome defender. He is a damn good defender. So I don't know. I mean, I think... I think those players are all getting their own offensively and they all have things that they contribute. But I really think the thing that this team does so well is play defense. Keisha Johnson can guard one through five. Kylan Boswell, a great on-ball defender. Caleb Love, a great help defender and an on-ball defender himself. Pella Larson, like I said, has all of the length to be there. I would say Umar Balo is maybe the one like weak spot defensively. But even then, you just plant him back there. You sort of get uh, make sure that he's always staying uh, in, on the interior, and he does fine. He does a great job there just taking up space. So um, anyway, yeah, that's uh, – that is my thoughts on Arizona. I think they're a scary team. I mm. fully expect them to be a one seed. Like, fully expect them to get into March with a, a gaudy record. 
I fully expect them to run through most of the Pac-12, honestly. Um, there's not a team right now that's their equal. There just isn't. They they look terrifying. Um, anyway, any other thoughts about Arizona here? They do play Purdue, so that'll be interesting. That's in Indianapolis, so not quite a home game for Purdue, but pretty damn close. Um, it'd be very fun to see how they deal with, I guess, some parts of Purdue. I don't really – I don't know. I think a lot of people don't trust Purdue. I think a lot more people trust Arizona, but we'll find out. We will find out. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next game here. Later on that evening, Utah pulled out a massive win for their resume. They beat number 14 BYU 73-69. The Moose controlled this game for the most part. Gabe Matson went off here. He had he scored a game high, 17 points, going 5 for 9 from 3. Um, I watched this on a second screen, so I couldn't quite lock in, but did watch a, a decent amount. But, Greg, you were definitely locked in for this one. What did you see? This Utah team rocks. Um, <laughs> this Utah team is so much better than any team Craig Smith has had before at Utah. Um, they're just on another level. And the fun thing about this game that was really surprising is that BYU is a team that has torched other teams from the perimeter. Like, and and Utah's Utah's defense has struggled especially on the perimeter. So there are a lot of people who thought... This is a terrible matchup. Utah could really get run off the floor. But in this game, Utah's perimeter defense was fantastic. Like, BYU shot a terrible percentage from three, and some of that was them missing open shots, but a lot of it was Utah defending well and BYU forcing it anyway because they didn't know what to do when they were guarded. Uh, It was really impressive from Utah defensively. Like, no notes there. The fact that they survived an eight-minute stretch, I think, of not scoring. Like, it was an insane drought where even when they got to the line, they were missing free throws. And despite that, they never lost the lead. Like, BYU led once at 3-2 early in the game. Utah led the rest of the way. Um, It was really impressive. And Utah didn't even have, like, an outlier shooting game in terms of, like, the team. I think they were 30%. Eight for Uh, 26, yeah. Completely pedestrian from three one of their worst games of the season so far and they still won against a team that was number 1 in the net rating number i don't know what they were before this game in Kempom they they were uh they're, they're number 6 they're uh they were number 6 they they're were number six, 8 they're now 8 now yeah, yeah yeah i thought utah would get a bigger boost from winning that one but uh, i guess Kempom's not really results based so that makes sense anyway Brandon Carlson was really good defensively i thought rotating uh offensively one of his worst games i think like if you look at the stats he was fine you know he still he still got uh still got what 15 points yeah six for 13 shooting but he took you know i've talked about it before he takes too many jumpers he settles for too many bad jumpers and he did that again today uh there were times where he'd have it in the post and he'd pass out for no reason despite the fact that he's being guarded by a point guard uh hunter erickson was dreadful in this game just really really terrible nearly choked the game away uh this is this is a time where you really really wish Davon Smith had not gotten his waiver denied, and I did am he hoping, officially get it denied? It was denied. Yeah, Damn. I'm hoping Utah threatens to sue the NCAA because every time somebody has done that in the past, the NCAA has rolled over in like a week because they're terrified <laughs> of lawsuits. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's what Utah chooses to do as they go through the appeals process. But on the whole, and I haven't even mentioned, Kabakeda might have been the best player in this game. He, he should be starting over Lawson Lovering, it Absolutely. feels like. Absolutely. He's so much better than Lawson Lovering 
And at this point, it's not just defensively that he's better. He was better offensively in this game, too. He's so good, despite his, like, being a 6-7 center. He's so good at creating space in the post for guys to pass to him. He doesn't get the ball as much as he should, unfortunately. But, uh... And then defensively, he's just an animal. Like, he is so athletic. He's so... He works so hard for every rebound that it doesn't matter that this dude has a foot on him in terms of height. He's going to jump higher, and he's going to be stronger than the other guy, and he wants it more, and so he gets the rebound. It's just wonderful to watch him play because I think so many other players on the Utah team do not care enough about rebounding. It's nice to have a guy that does. It's nice to have a guy that will that will fight for the rebounds, and he did in this game, and that was a big difference for Utah. Uh, overall, like, this was great to see, especially in a game that is the last rivalry game between Utah and BYU before they become conference opponents. Um, I think that'll be good for in-state recruiting, you know, because BYU is going to be, is is Utah's primary, uh, what's the word, recruiting rival. Like, there's a player Utah really wanted to get that they did not get a few years ago. A big reason for that was BYU has just been better recently. BYU has won the games recently. That might change now going forward. It's a good, good time for Utah to get a win. Reed, did you get to watch much of this one? Did you think? You feel similarly about Utah? You're excited by them? I'm excited. I didn't really get to watch much of this one, sadly, but I kind of caught up with it a bit. Um, one, again, I have to take my victory lap on the net rankings fucking sucking at it as a predictive metric byu was number one uh when we reviewed them last week so get fucked byu um i think my biggest thing is i guess i don't know i worried in my initial games watching utah like that they needed to be hot shooting and that their front court was soft uh and in this game i like they held their own on the boards and they didn't have an insane shooting night and they still beat a pretty good BYU team. Um, so I have to feel better about Utah after this. Yeah, I think I think they are a fantastic defensive team, um, despite them having some serious limitations, as we always talk about with Utah. They just like, Craig Smith has figured out a way to just get these dudes to gel and play connected defensively. Like they are really sound and you like watch them it's like yeah they're they're either gonna force you into a turnover or more likely they're gonna force you deep into the shot clock um and force you to jo- shoot some stuff that you're not prepared to shoot um and that stuff that's taking people out of their game dragging teams into the mud whatever you want to say um absolutely i'm i am really curious about what craig smith does with the kebakeda loss in lovering thing um, I think that's an interesting controversy that he's got going on there. It's going to be one of his biggest coaching challenges on the season. Um, Kaba Keda is Utah's leader in rebounding rate. 24 point. He's getting 24.5% of all available rebounds. The next closest player, uh, rotation players, Brandon Carlson at 12.8% loss and lovering is sitting there at third at 12%. Kaba Keda is a much better rebounder than anyone else on the team. And I think he showed it. I think his athleticism, his uh, energy, his activity, all of those things uh, really matter for um, Utah, you know, ending possessions and and also trying to generate second chance points. He's like far and away their best offensive rebounder. He collects 19.7% of Utah's offensive rebounds. Uh, ben Carlson's number two at 8.7. It's not even close. He's their best rebounder. He absolutely should be getting more playing time. I get that you lose some stuff offensively. But 
Do you? Because he's also the leader in offensive box plus minus for Utah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just he does things for Utah that I think Lost and Lovering can't. Lost and Lovering, a fine backup big, I think, would be great coming off the bench if you had another seven-footer who could spell Brandon Carlson and Kabakata. He was awesome in this game. I'm really curious to see what um, Craig Smith does uh, because they, they, they could use his athleticism over the scale of a full game. Um, he got 13 minutes in this one, only 20 and and 24 for Lawson Lovering. You got to play Kabakata. Uh, he just gives you another dimension that I think that Utah desperately needs to take them to another level. But in this game, they fantastic stuff from from everyone. I mean, I felt like Gabe Matson, obviously an electric shooter, yes. so much fun. Like <laughs> man, he is like he has. It's either him or Brandon Carlson who have replaced. Uh, Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkes as like the coolest looking dudes in the Pac-12. Like just dudes who are fucking cool. Uh, Tiger Campbell was fucking cool. Jaime Hawkes <laughs> dripping with cool. Um, Gabe Batson, uh, I think, is right up there. He's got a cool look. He's a, just so fearless, taking the craziest shots and they're taking, going in. <laughs> an absolute, going on absolute heaters. But also a smart player, doesn't turn the ball over, knows his role, like plays really well within that offense. Speaking um, of the offense, mm-hmm. you mentioned how impressed you are with the Utah defense, and you know it's really good. Craig Smith's done a good job there. It's the offense that yes. I've been impressed with for Utah because they are by far a better offensive team than a defensive one this year. And the fact that Craig Smith has been able to do that with the dearth of creative talent that the team has, insane. Like he's yeah. created an offense where he's bypassed the need for like an actual dynamic creator it's insane yeah and and raleigh worcester's a fine creator but yeah he's a fine point guard but he's not a scorer at all no no he's not that threat um at all um so utah they get a big win they move uh there's not much movement in kempom but there was a ton of movement in the net they went from 49th in the net to 32nd so firmly that's firmly in the ncaa tournament bracket that's not even on the bubble that's pretty pretty comfortably in at this point so we'll see how their season shakes out but i don't know are they where would you put them in the pac-12 are they the second best team in the pac-12 right now reed i guess i'll kick it to you do you feel like do you feel like it's arizona and then it's utah right now probably given the questions i have about you like the other ones that we had in that mix were usc and colorado they've kind of fallen off ucla we'll talk about them in a second um Oregon's injured you know so I feel like right now it probably is Utah too I'm not sure I'm I'm not quite convinced yet that that will hold through the rest of the season but today right now they're probably number two for me yeah per Ken Palm they're number four Colorado is 32nd in Ken Palm USC is 35th and Utah is 37th so but definitely top four, I think, is great, uh, especially with where Utah has been. Uh, they're an experienced team. They've done a lot of great development work. It's been it's been fun to watch this Utah team grow over the past three years. It's been super, super interesting. Uh, all right, so that's Utah. We'll see how they fare as we go on. They've got a couple easy games, and then they'll have to get into the meat of the conference schedule. But let's move on to another big result here, the last one that we're going to talk about before we go rapid fire. UCLA fell to Villanova in Philadelphia, 65-56. to 56. UCLA was competitive in this one again for the vast majority of it, but ultimately some rebounding woes and some uh, absurd decisions from Mick Cronin lost this one for UCLA. Uh, neither of y'all were tuned in, right? This was you all were tuned into the Utah BYU no. game. I think it was yeah. all at the exact same time. All right, I've, I'm going to go on a diatribe here because 
I'm, you know, um, I was, I think I was, I knew I was going to be the only one watching this game. Uh, but this was a brutal game from Mick Cronin. This is, um, maybe his worst coach game this season. Look, we know that UCLA is a young team. We've talked about it. We know that they're going to make a bunch of mistakes. We know that they're going to be out of position a lot of the time, all of that. And they were, they were absolutely just, their youth was just obvious in this game i think that they struggled they had really really good stretches in this one defensively especially um but off but they they faltered sometimes i think what was a little bit different about this game not something that's like concerning long term but just frustrating as someone who's watching this goddamn team um was that mick cronin made some stupid ass decisions in this one uh that put the players in some really really shitty positions chief among them i think uh was going zone for long stretches in this one mick cronin not a zone defense guy i've rarely seen him go zone defense i i think people were saying that he played zone one time in the uh in the uh, maui invitational I, I must have missed it because I do not remember them ever going zone. Um, so they probably did it for a couple of possessions and abandoned it. He's talked about potentially going zone because of the youth of his team, but it's never been his calling card. It's not how he coaches defense. Um, and I think it's his way of mitigating the lack of defensive experience that UCLA has. Um, I think for the most part, that was a silly decision. Uh, it made sense in one very specific circumstance, which is having a Dembona and a Daimara out there at the same time. Um, I think it makes sense in that context. Both players should be getting 30 minutes each because they both are very talented. And now I think Mara is getting to the point where he should see the floor um, and he's going to be important to the team's success. But playing them 30 minutes each means you're going to have to play them together for like 10 minutes, right? Like I think the vast majority of their minutes should be when one is sitting, but like 10 minutes to get them on the floor at the same time to get some offense and some size. I think that makes sense. Uh, and for those 10 minutes, Honestly, the zone feels natural, right? You're not asking a Daimata to go out to the perimeter and switch onto defenders um, in that context nearly as much as uh, McCronin's base defense. Um, he doesn't have to go and rotate all the way out to the perimeter. He's a slow guy. He's kind of slow-footed. I'm sure he'll probably get a little bit more active, but he's, he's not like he's not a Dembona, right? Where a Dembona is someone who can get out to the perimeter, recover, get back defensively, get a chase down block. Like he's that kind of freak athlete. Adaimara is not that, um, but uh, he has been fine defensively, um, and so you know he plays zone there. But outside of that, it it did not that they didn't need to do that, and Villanova took advantage for long stretches. Um, so that was a big falter. I, outside of when they went zone, I thought UCLA's defense was magnificent. There was times in this game where it was like, I really recognize this as like a classic quintessential Mick Cronin team. Felt like, yeah, they were, you know, they were forcing Villanova deep into the shot clock. Absolutely had nothing going. Villanova did. Um, They gave up a couple of wide open threes. A lot of that did come from the zone, right? Which is what happens. You can kind of, get lost in the zone and give up some corner threes, give up some threes from the, uh, you know, from the, from the, um, from the, el- whatever the elbow, I guess. Um, but you know, that's sort of what happens when you do that offensively. UCLA is not very clean right now. I, I think they've got a lot to learn offensively. I did not really have much problems with what Mick Cronin was doing. People, I saw UCLA fans were pretty upset that Sebastian Mack didn't have a great game and was dominating the ball. That's, sort of the offense that UCLA needs at this point. They don't really have um, the experience to be the kind of team they were last year where they were passing the ball and distributing it the way that they were. Dylan Andrews, a fantastic distributor himself. He was out for much of the second half because of cramps. So in his absence, Mac was tasked with attacking, um, which is honestly 
in the past, you know, seven, eight games, however long it's been, that's been where UCLA's best action has been coming from offensively. Uh, it just wasn't there and it looked bad. It looked out of control. Uh, and that's just Sebastian Mack learning how to control some of that stuff. A Dembona gets asked to create a lot. I do not love when a Dembona is asked to create as much as he does. Um, and he wasn't really doing that and wasn't asked to do that. Um, this game, especially late. So yeah, silly decisions from Mick Cronin. Despite all that though, I, I will say, um, they were close in true on a true road game, uh, in Philadelphia against Villanova, against a pretty decent Villanova team, like a top 30 team per Kempom. Uh, it sucks that UCLA keeps losing these kinds of games. They're going to need them for NCAA tournament purposes. So the Ohio State game next week is going to be really, really important. Um, but also there's just eight games into their season. Most of their major rotation players are eight games into their collegiate careers. Um, so I thought this was encouraging. There was a lot of encouraging stuff again. Um, but sometimes Mick Cronin is a silly goofball. And sometimes UCLA is going to lose some games because of that. And I think he owns this one. And it's fine. Your coach loses you games sometimes. I'm not like, you know, I don't want people to think like, oh yeah, Mick Cronin sucks. He needs to get fired. I, I just think that your coach does lose you games sometimes and Mick Cronin can galaxy brain in his way out of some games. So got to admit that anyway. So we'll see what UCLA becomes. They're a competitive team. Now I think they have not been a competitive team this early in the season. You know, when we think about like, you know, the, his first two seasons at UCLA. So it's the trajectory is better at this point, but He's got to start rattling off some wins, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, that's UCLA. Any other uh, thoughts, questions about UCLA before we move on here? All right, that is that. Okay, let's move on to talk about the rest of the slate. Rapid fire. Early on, Cal took Butler to a double overtime uh, to double overtime before losing to the Bulldogs in a true road game at Hinkle Fieldhouse in indianapolis by a score of 97 90 uh grapes watched this one but she had to deal with an emergency so uh i did watch this game i was encouraged by cal cal uh, has only lost like really tight close games or games in overtime at this point uh (laughs) so they are three and six they've got a shitty record but they've been pretty competitive so uh that is my thoughts on cal next up oregon state wins another nail biter by game beating utah valley 74 71 as michael rataj notches a double double Greg, should we be worried about the be- the beeves or is this a UW football situation? They're six and three. The winners just win. I wouldn't say that winners just win because the three, like three, is a lot. <laughs> but this is just who they are. Like I feel like we've seen enough from them this season. This is not out of character for them. <laughs> uh, they're gonna do this, and I'm curious to know if they can keep keeping games close in the Pac-12 against better competition. I hope so. Uh, but I really think it's going to be a rough year for them. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, next one here, Oregon took care of UTEP, 71-49. Big story to this one with Jermaine Cousinard notching 18 points, five boards, three steals. Oregon quietly 6-2 and two now without their two bigs and now number 41 in Kempom. Reed, are you quacking yet? I'm quacking, man. I think that this team <laughs> really has a chance. I think slowly they're molding a group here that when those two bigs come back, is going to look pretty good. Shellstead, especially like him playing as many minutes as he did in this one and kind of getting thrown into the fire and looking pretty good is impressive. So I think it's Shellstead, Cousinard, Rigsby, maybe Kwame Evans comes on, then you add the two bigs. That's You're getting pretty close to a really good eight-man there. Greg, you quacking? Meh, I, I want to okay. see them healthy, but I am encouraged by what they're okay. doing when they're not healthy. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. 
Uh, last one here. Arizona State humiliated itself in SoCal. The Devils lose to the University of San Diego 89-84. to Not San Diego State. The University of San Diego. They lose to them. Uh, this game take a nosedive for the Devils after the Toreros went on a 13-0 run uh, in late in the second half and rallied from an 11-point deficit. Uh, the Devils completely outclassed in every way, but mostly on the boards. They lost the rebounding battle 46-33 against San Diego. They were, like, way bigger than San Diego. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, uh, this question was originally for Grapes, but uh, I'm curious uh, how you all are feeling about Bobby Hurley. Greg? Free Frankie Collins from the from the tyranny of Bobby Hurley. <laughs> I've, I've had enough. I'm not having fun anymore. I want it to stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Reed, any thoughts about Arizona State? <laughs> San Diego, I just had to look it up. It's 226th in Ken Palm. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, they're bad. Yeah, that's... 244 now. Or 244 <laughs> entering this game. Yeah, Jesus. So, I mean... That doesn't sound good, really. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. <laughs> you don't want to have that result. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um, there's, some, there's some dudes on this on this Arizona State team that are, like, pretty good. But, man, to, a shitty team. Shitty, absolutely shitty team. I feel like, I don't know. They fell to number 97, Kempom. They were 89 entering this game. Big, big, big uh, loss there for them gonna be a, a, a rough go uh pac women's hoops quick update here arizona went 1-0 against uc san diego utah won its first game without yana Nikins beating st joseph 74-48 gonzaga notches another win over the pac-12 they beat the shit out of stanford the week before this time they beat cal in overtime uh, but cal did bounce back to beat nevada 76-49 ucla beat the shit out of cal state northridge uh 11-48 shout out our season buddy connor for that one for-profit institution grand canyon beat arizona state 66 59 oregon beat idaho 59 51 then followed that up with a win over portland state 65 54 and finally oregon state beat jackson state 78 to 58 we're a little light on pac-12 hoops this week uh both men and women's but texas and arizona women's hoops should be pretty fun that's uh happening i think wednesday and then uh this saturday men's hoops will be pretty got another big weekend up here ucla is going to get another shot to prove itself this time against a decent Ohio State team. Uh, and then Arizona, you mentioned this, Greg. They're going to Indianapolis, Indianapolis to play number four Purdue. Um, and then ASU and Cal are going to take on a couple of undefeated teams in Ole Miss and TCU. So those will be those will be intriguing games, too. Anyway, that's it. That's all we have. Should be a big old fun Saturday for Pac-12 heads. We'll be back here Sunday at 9 a.m. to recap all of those basketball games in addition to talking about some Pac-12 football news. Stay tuned to our Patreon for a bonus episode, Pac-12 football discourse, and possibly some written content. And as always, subscribe to this channel. Please, please, please like and comment away. It really helps us out for now. That's red. That's red. That's free. That's Greg. I'm Carlos. Thank you for subscribing to our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So thick it makes you choke. The crowd falls in, the coffee's kicking, and my patience to everything. Said I'm lonelier than a single sex on a quiet city street. Things aren't always green.